Chapter 12 of George Washington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. George Washington by Ferdinand Schmidt. Translated by George P. Upton. Chapter 12. Trying Times. The Star-Spangled Banner had been raised. Thirteen white stars, to represent the thirteen states, shone upon its blue field. The patriots must now win freedom beneath its folds or fall with honor. Many difficulties had been overcome, but still greater ones remained to be conquered. England was gathering all her strength together to subjugate the so-called rebels. New troops were sent to General Howe, including German subjects whom Great Britain had bought to use as executioners in America. The sale of subjects as mercenaries was of common occurrence during the heyday of the small principalities in Germany. The princes of Hesse, Bayreuth, Anspach, Braunschweig, and Anhalt Zerbst were engaged in this traffic. Hesse provided the greatest number, so the German mercenaries in America were generally called Hessians. In Hesse, a man who tried to get out of trouble by running away and fell into the hands of the elector's spies was handcuffed and gagged. Complaints by his parents were answered by putting the father in irons and the mother in prison. In the marketplace in Castle, English agents bought Hessian subjects for $100 apiece. Frederick the Great said with bitter irony, quote, Let the lords of the country not forget to raise the duty on cattle also. Unquote. Quote, no one, unquote, relates the celebrated Summa, quote, was safe from these traitors in souls, the princes. They tried all methods, persuasion, stratagem, deception. Even strangers of all kinds were attacked, locked up, and exported, unquote. While his subjects were being marched on board ship, Alexander of Beirut Anspach stood on the banks of the main, ready to shoot down anyone who made an attempt to escape. In this way, 29,000 Germans were sold to the English as, quote, food for cannon, unquote. Quote, the thoughtful traveler, unquote, says an English lord, quote, cannot look upon the magnificent gardens of Wilhelmsburg at Kassel without a sigh, for the blood money of the citizens of Kassel and other places has been expended upon them, unquote. As we know, General Howe had been obliged to take refuge with his troops, on the ships in Boston Harbor. It was his intention to land in another part of the country. Washington suspected that Howell had selected New York. Therefore, he had sent the second officer in command of the American forces thither, and he followed him in haste. Howell's fleet had in the meantime joined the new fleet, so that the enemy was greatly in excess of the Americans in numbers. Howell landed on Long Island near New York. His object was to take that city and from thence cut off communications between the north and the south. A battle took place in which the Hessians especially greatly distinguished themselves by their bravery. They attacked the Americans with such desperation that it seemed as though these men, so brutally torn from their homes, were seeking death. The Americans were defeated. They were even in danger during the next few days of being surrounded on the island and taken prisoners. Therefore, Washington determined under cover of night to embark with his little army. But while he was preparing at dusk for the execution of his plan, and had given instructions to keep the campfires burning, in order to deceive the enemy, 
no one suspected that treason was already at work to destroy the American army. A lady of English sympathies had sent a slave to the British to carry them word of the movements of the Americans. Fortunately, the slave fell into the hands of Hessian soldiers who stood guard at the outpost. It availed him nothing to declare that he had a very important message for General Howe. The Hessians did not understand a word of the language of the frantically gesticulating Negro. They thought he might be a spy, so bound him and took him into custody, not turning him over to headquarters until next morning. By this time, however, his message, which would have been worth a fortune to General Howe the night before, had lost its importance, for the embarkation was completed, and the enemy, whom he thought he had caught securely in a trap, had disappeared. Under the existing conditions, Washington had acted for the best, and he carried out the plan of retreat with admirable skill. He had been on horseback for forty-eight hours, until all the enemy was embarked. Thus the nucleus of the American forces was saved, but their number was insignificant indeed compared with the enemy's. Many a patriot was full of dark forebodings, and Washington passed many hours and days in which he was almost overwhelmed with fear that the good cause was doomed to defeat. But he was firmly resolved to remain true to it, even if his faithfulness should cost him his life. He who has dedicated himself to the service of his country is most faithful in its hour of need. After this battle on Long Island, a time of deep distress began for the Americans, of which we get a clear picture from Washington's letters. He wrote to the President of Congress, quote, Our situation is truly distressing. The check our detachments sustained in the battle on Long Island has dispirited too great a proportion of our troops and filled their minds with apprehension and despair. The militia, instead of calling forth their utmost efforts to a brave and manly opposition in order to repair our losses, are dismayed, intractable, and impatient to return. Great numbers of them have gone off, in some instances almost by whole regiments, by half-ones, and by companies at a time. This circumstance of itself, when fronted by a well-appointed enemy, superior in numbers to our whole collected force, would be insufficiently disagreeable. But when their example has infected another part of the army, and destroyed all discipline, our condition is still more alarming. All these circumstances fully confirm the opinion I ever entertained, that no dependence could be put in a militia. I am persuaded, and as fully convinced as I am of any one fact that has happened, that our liberties must of necessity be greatly hazarded, if not entirely lost, if their defense is left to any but a permanent standing army. I mean, one to exist during the war. Obedience, order, discipline are only possible with such an army. Unquote. Two days later he wrote, Quote, our affairs have not undergone a change for the better. The militia, under various pretenses, of sickness, etc., are daily diminishing, and in a little time, I am persuaded, their number will be very inconsiderable. Unquote. In spite of all this, he still preserved enough calmness of soul to say a few words in defense of the faltering one. He wrote to a friend, quote, Men just dragged from the tender scenes of domestic life unaccustomed to the din of arms, totally unacquainted with every kind of military skill, when opposed to troops regularly trained, disciplined, and appointed, became timid and ready to fly from their own shadows. Besides, the sudden change in their manner of living brings on sickness in many, and impatience in all, and an inconquerable desire of returning to their respective homes." Unquote. 
A few days later, however, when he saw his best divisions giving way before a small company of Hessians, he lost the composure, which nearly always distinguished him. He dashed in among the fleeing men, pulled his pistols from the holsters, and aimed them at his own soldiers, crying, quote, Are these the men with whom I am expected to defend my country? Unquote. Despair seized the general. It seemed as though he sought death, for he drew rein, while his men deserted him, and the enemy was only fifty paces distant. His adjutant seized his horse's bridle and led him away almost by force. The retreat was continued. Congress was kept informed of the situation, and at last they determined to raise a new body of troops. But the carrying out of this measure took time. Men were not so quickly to be found, and when enlisted had to have some little military training. The enemy, on the other hand, feeling encouraged by their late successes, were seeking to put the finishing touch to their opponents as quickly as possible. Other things helped to complicate the difficulties with which the American army had to contend. There were still many secret adherents of the British government in the United States. They now raised their heads once more and tried, wherever they found an opportunity, to aid the English army. Some of the states even sent recruits to General Howe. Under such circumstances, what other alternative had the general than again to play the role of Fabius, to avoid the enemy, and postpone the decisive moment to a more favorable time? Many people, however, who were in sympathy with Congress, but did not know any particulars about the existing military conditions, became impatient with Washington's tactics. The difficulty was that a public explanation of the condition of affairs would have still more depressed the patriots and have encouraged the enemy in proportion. He was even attacked behind his back by ambitious men who, not understanding the situation, united for his downfall and for the purpose of transferring his rank and authority to another. For the sake of his country he bore even this indignity, in never entering his mind to quarrel with his intriguing enemies. Instead, he worked defatigably for the cause of freedom. He carried on by far the greater part of the business at headquarters without any help. His correspondence with Congress alone took up a good deal of his time. The laws that were passed in Congress had to be referred to the governments of the several states for ratification, and the manner in which the laws were enacted made fresh negotiations with the thirteen state governments necessary at every juncture. We can readily see how all this complicated the work of the Commander-in-Chief, and what indefatigable energy, what self-control and patience, were necessary not to lose sight of the end in view and not to fall into faults, either of rashness or negligence. In order to judge how comprehensive Washington's correspondence was during the war and his public life afterward, we have only to learn that the letters written by his own hand and the answers to them, which were afterward carefully collected, fill two hundred folio volumes. They are a precious bequest to the American people. Quote, Whoever wishes to understand the whole greatness of the father of our country, the grandeur and repose of his character, his unalterable aims and gigantic strength, must go to the font of his letters and reports. Unquote. These were the work of his own pen. But besides these, what a work remained to be done. There was no end of conferences with professional men in the most various branches of activity. His strength and his time were in demand on all sides. It seems a marvel that a single man was able to attend to so many things at the same time. Thus misjudgment did not embitter him, 
and that the situation which seemed hopeless to most people did not discourage him. New York fell into the hands of the enemy, also Fort Washington, and the general had to withdraw his troops still farther. Lee, who tried to join him, was taken prisoner. End of chapter 12